Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. By way of the future, uh, when we have the meal today, I'm going to need 14 people to read scripture. All right, 14 people downstairs after the message to read scripture. So if you can bring your Bibles, um, you can set your Bible up on the the windowsills. Have great, it's a great shelf for your Bibles while you eat. And then we're going to talk about this phrase in the Bible called "love one another." 14 times it's mentioned in the Bible. And I'm going to pick 14 different people, or maybe might, might be 12, because I think it's referenced twice in a couple of verses. Um, and we're going to talk just a little bit about that one statement, just a few, five, ten minutes on that, because it's so important that God put it in there this many times. And I'm going to see if, uh, if you agree with me why I think God did that in the Bible. So 1 John 4, verse 7. Now, I'm going to read slowly. I'm going to try to. I normally read too fast. And I'm going to try to read slowly um, because I really want you to all read this with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But I want you to read with me and try to see uh, what is God saying here that is so important for us to understand about his love. Because it's amazing. His love is amazing towards us. So, beloved... Verse 7, let us love one another. There's that phrase. It's going, to be, it's going to happen again. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also, say it with me, to love one another. Okay, we got that straight so far. So no man has seen God at any time. If we, say it with me again, love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, listen to the rest of this. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. And we have been and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And he in God. So if we confess to know Christ, he's saying that he lives within us, right? There should be, there should be, because it's one of the indicators you're truly saved, love beyond our comprehension. One for him and one for each other. 
And we have made known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So there's kind of a prerequisite there. In other words, if you're not, uh, if God is in you and God is love, and you're not dwelling in that love, right, you're not really uh, showing that God is in you. So herein is our love made perfect, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth not is made perfect in love. Nobody should be afraid of us. Nobody should be afraid of us. We, we should extend so much love that, that they open the door to us. And that includes family, too. So we love him because he first loved us. Say that with me. We love him because he first loved us. So he's the initiator. So if a man say, I love God, now listen to this, and hateth his brother, he's a what? For he that loveth not his brother, or I could say his mother, or his wife, or his children, or his aunts, or his uncles, or his friends, or his you know, church members, right? Whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his bro brother uh, also. So I kind of entitled this message, Lovers and Liars. Tough one, isn't it? Lovers and Liars. Father, um, it in no way insinuates I'm calling somebody here a, a liar. Uh, but it does open our eyes to the fact that, Lord, as far as I can see here, the, the primary principle, the primary fruit that extends from our lives is your love through us to others. Especially to those, according to Peter, I think it is, who are close to us, and, and even to those who are our enemies. So, Father, I would pray in Jesus' name that we'd, I'd help a little bit, help us understand your love for us. Uh, Lord, I know I cannot do it justice, but I know that you can speak to the hearts here this morning with whatever you have to say and concerning of love for them. And we'll just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a professing Christian, would you consider yourself a lover or a liar based on what we just read? Based on what we just read. Be careful before you answer because you might incriminate yourself. But living in God's love is where God intends for us as his believers uh, to live. But not with hypocrisy and not with insincerity. Right? He wants us sincere about this, and he wants us uh, to be loving others uh, with all of our hearts and minds in the same way that we love him. So we love him, Jesus said, because he loved us. Never has there been a more defining statement from the word of God. Right? He won over our hearts with authentic, genuine love for us. That's how it happened. And if, he, if there was only one message I could leave you with, it would be this one. God loves you. That's it. If there was only one I could give. But I, but I would kind of add to that, and there's nothing more profitable to you and to your soul than loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength 
because that's the first and greatest commandment. And also loving others that same way. So nothing breaks down the hardened, hardened, unbelieving, degenerate heart or corrupt heart like genuine love. Thus the reason God commands us to love others, including our enemies. Now, but I say unto you which here, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6, 20, recording Luke 6, 27. Think about that statement. Has anyone ever told you they love you but treat you like they hate you? Or hate you and treat you like they love you. Needless to say, either way, it hurts. It hurts badly. Um, if, if he commanded us to love our enemies, even those who hate us, how much more then should we love our God and love our family and love our, uh, our friends and love each other in this church? You see, hearts are won over by love. In fact, um, my heart was won over by love. It wasn't a fear of hell. It wasn't a fear of anything like that. It was, I did not understand, and I still do not understand to this day, why God would love me after all the things I did that was against him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So God wins over souls with his great love, and the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance, but the love of God perfects us or authenticates us on who we are in Christ. So we can be dogmatic about a lot of different things in Christianity, a lot of different convictions, and even have faith to move mountains. And without Jesus Christ's love, the Bible says we are nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nobody worth listening to. That's what it says in, first, in the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, hateth his brother, he is a liar. So we will, have a, uh, we will have no persuasive power of our Christian authenticity without Christ-like love. In fact, the Bible bluntly says we're liars. We make him a liar, too, if we're not loving to the fullest extent uh, that we have, we're capable of doing. So in the love chapter, uh, Paul nails it down. I'll read it for you in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, or that's love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And then he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, the philanthropist, you know, the person that I do this for this one, I do this for that one, and I give, and I'm, you know, I'm a good person. Though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. That's an incredible statement. So you might think you're impressing God by your knowledge of the Bible, or how you feed the poor, or with your self-flagellation concerning Christ, you know, beat myself up, but you're not impressing God or anyone else. You're just a liar to him. So what Paul is saying here is if you're professing to possess Christ and the love of Christ, but the proof of that profession is lacking in your actions of love, you are a hypocrite of the highest degree. 
Because it doesn't get any worse than that. So what John is saying here in our text is, if you claim Jesus, then love should just overflow out of us onto everyone. And if it doesn't, you're not even worth listening to. So God wins over with his loving open arms, not with strong arms, by the way. He doesn't force us to love him. So God is not a strong, to strong arm anyone into loving him. We cannot strong, any, strong arm anyone into loving us, by the way. We just can't do that. Love has to be genuine, has to be sincere, has to be unselfish for it to be truly effective. So if we are truly born again, we are possessors of the same type of love God used to draw us to himself. We have that within us. He expects us to draw others to Christ in the same way, not to drive them away. So it will cause uh, more people to trust us if we love them, and, the, and, the, and they'll trust in the message that we bring them if they can understand and feel the sincerity of the love of why you're doing what you're doing, and mostly because of their soul. So according to God's word, without true love, it profits you nothing. But with love, it brings great profit to God. It brings great profit to Jesus. So you can say you love your spouse, or you love your children, or you love your family, or you love your friends, or you love this church body, but if there's no action behind your words, you're a liar, and you're not worth listening to, God says. Isn't that pretty hard stuff? It is. In fact, John makes an interesting correlation between false prophets and the lack of love. Right? According to the context of what we just read, we are not to believe every spirit, but to try them, see whether they are genuine, living in the spirit of truth, or living in the spirit of error. And John has, was concerned about the churches in Asia Minor when he was writing us that, that the counterfeits would turn their love and their affection and faith away from the truth uh, they once believed in. So John here begins to warn his readers of false prophets and teachers that are already sprouting up in Asia Minor. Uh, already, can you imagine that? Christianity was only in its third generation when this was happening. And already that was happening. You know, so 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So your professions of faith has a big problem, <laughs> listen, if your love for Jesus doesn't control you. I have a hard time with Christians that lose their temper. It should constraineth us. I mean, it should control us to want to just extend that love and love people. And we call ourselves a Christian, and it's just a fly off the handle. It just doesn't make sense to me. If his love is within you, does, doesn't that, isn't that supposed to constrain you uh, to drop the old habits of the old man? The devil is controlling you. If you can't control yourself, and, and you need help. <laughs> You need to understand that love. So this just reminds us how quick the devil gets involved. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just how quick he does. Three generations, or three uh, uh, into the third, I don't know when, when it was. I don't have the dates before me. When the truth begins to grow, 
Asaph, what happens is the devil begins to really advance his attacks. And John says it comes down to two words, whether you're a lover or a liar, or whether you're going to survive in this thing. So you will know them by their love or by their lies, and this is very concerning to me. Why? Because John here is addressing the beloved. This is why this is so concerning to me. This would mean that within the body of believers, there were some who gave the impression they loved Christ, but were actually lying. I, I don't know. It, you know, I can understand it in the outside world. Can't you? Mm -hmm. I can understand the lack of love. It says in the end days, the, uh, we're going to wax cold. The love of others is going to wax cold. And we understand that when we look out there. But in the church... Shouldn't it be like boiling? You know what I mean? Like just overflowing from the church? So if we're ever going to win people to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they be family members, friends, or fellow workers, the sincerity of our love is important because it will determine their response to Jesus. Now, you will know or should know us by our love because of the love of Christ constrains us. I remember uh, the first time I read, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And I thought about that. Now listen to me. That's 1 John 4 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And it really st struck me because I've always had a hard time preaching, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, about God's love because I can never do it the justice God deserves. And, and, and if you've heard me pray, I will say often, Lord, we love you, just not the way I should right now, or not the way we should. So not understanding why he would love me is why I finally came to him. And I think it's the reason most of us come to him, is that because we all understand we're sinners. We all understand that we have done things against God. And there's no other area in my life I struggle with more than loving him the way I should. Just being honest. All I know is that Scripture says God is love and that He loves me and I'm going to do everything I can to love Him back and to love others for His sake. I, for one, am forever grateful. Are you? Forever grateful. So there are four fundamental truths I want to give you about God's love. And I'm going to bring uh, a second part to this just briefly downstairs uh, that lets us know how important it is to God that we know He loves us and how much he loves us, and what he expects from us when it comes to love. So I'm going to give them to you now, and we're done for, today, for this service, and then we'll jump into the next food and go on. But number one, the reason we know this is because he describes his love for you. Do you understand that? He describes what kind of love he has for you. And I might add, with great detail, with great detail, Turn over to Romans 8, just for a second with me. Thirty, Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, 
Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me just give you some of these thoughts under he describes his love for you. Number one, he describes his love for you as unconditional. It's agape love. It's unconditional. This basically means three things, right? It's inseparable love. In other words, it says there in Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? It's, insepar- it's unconditional. In other words, according to the word of God, there's no situation that can cause Christ to turn away his love from you. Tribulation, struggles, right? uh, suffering, sicknesses, distress, not knowing which way to turn, what to do, right? persecution, being abused or attacked or mocked. None of these things separate you. Famine, having no food, no job, no way to provide yourself for your family. Does not separate his love from you. Right? Nakedness, that means to be stripped of all your dignity. Does not separate his love from you. Peril, to be exposed to the most severe elements in the most dangerous situations will not separ- separate his love for you. It reminds me right now, I jump off the rabbit trail for a minute. I remember when I, when I was uh, uh, t- 12 years old, I, I, I had a severe leg uh, burn, third degree. I was in the hospital for weeks, and I remember a little boy that was, uh, he, he really took to me, and he had his, both his hands were frostbitten really bad. In fact, his hands were the biggest hands I ever seen. They had swollen up. You could look right through them. We used, I'd had fun with them, put the flashlight in front of them and do that, you know, so you could see through the, see the bone in his hands. That's what we're talking about when we say peril. Right? He used to push me around in the, in the wheelchair with his palms. He would just shove, and, but we always got in trouble because he'd get me going faster and he could have no hands to stop it, so I'd smash into the wall. Sword, not even a... Not even to die will separate you from God's love. You know, this tells me that he even loves you, uh, loves them who chose to reject him in hell. This is what it tells me. Does certainly not hate them. Uh, they made their decision. That's where they are. By the way, that's one of the biggest prayer meetings in the world right now, going on right now in hell. Probably the biggest. So just imagine a person experiencing any of these or all of these in the midst of so much darkness. Could someone still know that God loves them? I'm telling you, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Second, the unconditional means it's inescapable. In other words, how shall we escape? That's what it says in Hebrews 2.3, if we neglect so great a salvation. How can you escape the fact that an innocent man died in your place at Calvary 2,000 years ago? You can't. You can't escape it. No one's ever been able to escape that. But God commended or demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So there, in no, there's no greater demonstration of God's love for every, everyone than his only begotten son's death on the cross. No one, no one can avoid that. He describes his love as unconditional, inseparable, in, inescapable. And uh, second, he describes, and so the second is he describes his love for me as unstoppable. And where I get that from is verse 37. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
we're more than conquerors in the depth of God's great love. How do we know his love is unstoppable? The resurrection. The resurrection is the greatest testimony of God's unstoppable love. Death could not hold Christ down. The death of Christ only of, only, of God's only begotten son, the death of God's only begotten son proves that nothing can stop him. Right? He's going to go through whatever he has to do to love, love us. Nothing, nothing was going to keep Jesus from getting to that cross. Nothing was going to keep him on that cross. Nothing was going to keep him in the grave. Nothing was going to keep him from doing everything that he could do to save us. His love is unstoppable. We should have that same type of desire for everybody we know and our family, everybody that comes. It should be unstoppable. We're not going to give up on them for any reason. So our souls depended upon his death, burial, and resurrection. He loved us so much, nothing was going to keep him from keeping us out of hell. Everybody with me so far? So God describes his love as, as unconditional, unstoppable, but he also describes his love as undeniable. You know, Paul says, I'm persuaded. I mean, you don't even have to convince me on this. I'm just persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, things that come. Paul says, I got it. I'm persuaded. He was, he was convinced God's love could not be denied. There's not a man, woman, or child that, cannot, that can deny Jesus' love for them. Do you ever think about this in the Muslim world? Now think about that in the Muslim world where they exalt martyrdom as the highest form of loyalty. And they don't deny the love of Jesus, by the way. The Muslims don't deny that. But even the Jews don't deny that, the love of Jesus. And I'll share something about that in just a minute. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us? And washed us from our own sins, from our sins in his own blood, I mean. So God loves those who love him, but what makes it an undeniable love is God lo even loves those who hate him. Right? God loves those who receive Christ, but what makes it an undeniable love is, what makes it undeniable is God loves those who reject him. So how do I know the love that God loves me? He just described it for you. I, I probably didn't do it justice. There's so much more in the Bible, but he just described it. It's unconditional. It's inseparable, inescapable, unstoppable. It is undeniable. But here's my favorite part of this message right now. How do you know God loves you? Because he declares his love for you. Doesn't just describe the kind of love he has. He declares it. Don't you find that interesting? He loves telling you that he loves you. I just find it interesting. There's no other God on planet Earth that does that. He tells us over and over and over again how much he loves us. No one has declared to you more than, uh, than God how much, someone, how much he loves you. No one's done that. I, t I try to tell my wife all the time I love her. But man, oh, I don't do it even justice compared to what God has said to me. You can never tell someone how much you love them enough. And the Bible is God's written declaration of his divine love for his creatures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, back to that Muslim thing. Ask a Muslim how much he knows that, his, that Muhammad or Allah loves him. 
I'm going to tell you, because I've read the Quran, they might come up with a lot of reasons why they think he loves them, but they're going to be hard-pressed to prove it with actual declarations. That's the difference between our God and their gods. Right? Ask a Buddhist. Ask a Buddhist how, how he knows God loves him and, and, tells, and where it tells him in, his, in the writings of Buddha, I guess, they, they, they'd also be hard-pressed to show where Buddha tells them he loves them. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus said this, uh, said this uh, recorded in John 16, 27, for the Father himself loving, loveth you because he hath loved me. In Jeremiah 31, 3, God reminds Israel, yea, I, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn thee. There it is. That loving kindness is what draws us. Our hearts hunger for love and to be loved and to be told we are loved. And God makes sure we know it. He makes sure, he makes sure that we know it. God declares it to us over and over again, making sure we know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves us. Do you know what J. Paul Getty said? And I'm probably dating myself here. It's funny. Pastor Pete spoke this morning about uh, locally, somebody brought a, or brought a shotgun to school and got in trouble and all that stuff. That was, that was normal when I was a kid. You could bring your hunting rifle to school because when you left, you could go out in the field and shoot. Things have changed. Yeah. J. Paul Getty said this, the richest man of, the day, of his day, of his day, the richest man, he said this, he would give away everything that he owned if he just knew he had somebody who really loved him and it wasn't for his money. You know, the Bible tells me God loves me even when I have nothing to offer him. Right? It, it, no one is deserving of his love, and yet no one is denied his love. So how do you know God loves you? Well, he describes it uh, for you. He tells you it's unconditional, it's inseparable, inescapable, unstoppable, undeniable. And then how do you know? Well, he declares he loves you. Jesus loves you, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Over and over and over again. How do I know that God loves me? Well, three, and probably the most obvious one, is he demonstrates his love for me. He demonstrates it all the time, by the way. It didn't just happen on the cross at Calvary. He demonstrated it at the VFW the other day. When I preached the gospel, I just had lived and gave the gospel, and he showed me he loved me by the response of the people on how they were coming and wanted to get a brochure or a track about Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 5, 8 says, But God commended or demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't look at that cross. You can't see that demonstration of, 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 of his, the action of going to that cross and not know that he didn't love you or not know that he did love you. You know, God not only describes his love for us, he declares his love for us, he demonstrates it. And never forget that love is a verb. I teach this all the time in marriage counseling. It's a verb. Right? It's not this fluttery or nice words or anything like that, you know. It is a demonstration of action. Love is most appreciated, most authenticated when it is selfishly and selflessly and unselfishly demonstrated by action. You can say you love somebody, it could be very empty words if there's no action behind it. 
God demonstrates his love for you through his loving correction. Right? Uh, he says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father hit the Son in whom he delighteth. By the way, it doesn't mean he comes and pounds on the kids or, or, or I mean, di- di- dishonors them or anything like that. It means he does it lovingly. He gives them loving correction. God demonstrates his love for you through his godly guidance. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. He's, he's guiding us because he loves us. But the greatest demonstration of love for you was through his sacrifice, right? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15.13. Or John 10.15, As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So there's no greater demonstration of love that, uh, that even can be demonstrated than, than Calvary's cross. You just look at it. It makes you weep. I stood there, wept. He describes his love for me. He declares his love for me. He demonstrates his love for me. And lastly, most importantly, we're done. He desires his love for you. He desires for you to be with him. I'm going to share with you something that changed my life forever. <laughs> and I use it often, actually, when I'm talking to people. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I want you to wrap your mind around that just for a minute, right, about that statement. I have also never been able to process this statement in my mind. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Are you letting that sink in? One of my greatest moments was when I read John 17, 24. And it opened my eyes beyond. I felt like I was uh, in heaven for a few seconds. When, it, when Here it is, the high priestly prayer. Here's Jesus talking to his father, and he says this, and boy, it, 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 that dagger went right in. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Listen to it again. Father, I will that they also, and remember, think about what he said in the end, they lovest me, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. That first changed my whole perspective concerning his desire for me. Literally shook my life upside down when I read that. Now, you, it may not to you, but it did to me. It brought me the significance of his cross to a whole new level. That cross was for me. That empty grave was for me. And it wasn't even to keep me here in this world. It was to be with him for all of eternity. And then I can understand what Paul was talking about in Philippians 1, 23 and 24. He said, for I am, I am in a strait, Betwixt two, having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better, 
Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He didn't just die to save me. He didn't just die to love me. He died so I'd be with him forever. Think about that. He actually wants you and I with him and his family forever. It changes the way you live your life. Changes the way you raise your family. Changes the way you pastor a church. It changes everything. He actually wants you and I to be with him forever. That's his preference. Is that your preference? That's why, to me, it's more needful for him to keep me here for as long as he has to to reach everyone else like he reached me. I, I want to tell you something. That's a privilege beyond I can even comprehend or declare or explain. After all we've done against him, he still desires for us to experience every bit of his love in his family, in his kingdom, forever with him. If that's the only thing I said today, that would be enough message, I'll tell you. He longs to be with me. He longs to be with you forever. Let that sink in. If that doesn't humble you and drive you to your knees, nothing will. If that doesn't cause you to jump on the opportunity to accept his invitation to be saved, nothing will. He wants you with him. He's alive. Paid your sin debt. His shed blood covered everything. Now you're as white as snow in his eyes. We talked about that this morning. And all it takes is the decision to receive him and live in the overflow of his love forever with him. So we close with this. Let's bow our heads for a minute. With head bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, and hearts open, we invite you to call upon Jesus. Accept his invitation to be saved and be loved forever. What's interesting about salvation is that um, once you give your life to Christ or receive him as your savior, it begins that moment. You have all the kingdom right at that moment. Right at that moment. When you accept him and receive him, you get all the love he has right then and forevermore. So admit to Jesus you're a sinner, no way to save yourself and the penalty of your sin, and just trust him, right? Acknowledge that he paid for your debt, paid your sin debt, dying in your place on Calvary's cross. And then give your life to him. Remember, he's rich in mercy. So accept Christ by faith and the free gift of eternal life and by repenting of your sins and then just turning and receiving him or asking him to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but I want to make sure that I give an invitation here for anybody in here that may not know 100% for sure that they're saved. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, would anybody be bold enough to raise their hand and say, I'm just not absolutely sure I'm saved, but I certainly want to be saved. Um, just raise your hand up, put it back down. I'm just gonna, I'm not even going to say amen. I'm just going to look and not say anything and uh, not embarrass anybody. And I, I extend that to live feed. Are you sure? Are you 100% sure if you were to die today, you'd be in heaven with Jesus? If you could know for sure, would you want to know for sure? I would think you would.
then trust on Christ. If you'll sincerely pray right now for Jesus to save you from your sin, receive him as your Savior, you'll be safe and secure in his family with all the love God has to offer. Just say something like this. Dear Jesus, I love you. Not the way I should, but I know that you're my Savior. And I'm going to love you right now with everything I have. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to receive you. I'm going to say yes, Lord. Save me. If you just said that prayer, again, on the internet or wherever, God is not an Indian giver. He will save you. Now here's the last thing I want to say. We're closed. Our heads are bowed. For the rest of us right now who profess to be saved, being honest with God and yourself, do you consider yourself more of a lover or more of a liar? It's a pretty bold statement. Can you be honest with God? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. Nothing like that. I'm just asking you to examine yourself. The altar is going to be open in a minute. I'm not suggesting anyone in this uh, room is is a a liar. I'm not suggesting that at all. You know where I'm going with this. Could God be possibly putting someone on your heart right now and on your mind that you honestly can say you haven't exactly showed them you love them the way you should? If there is someone, I encourage you to settle that And as the music plays, and as Mike leads, um, you make your way to this altar. It might be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a a son or a daughter. It could be a father or a mother. If there is anyone that God is putting on your heart right now, that you feel you have not displayed the love of Christ towards, this is the time to do it right now. Amen. Father, help us now as we be honest with you with our own lives. We trust, Lord, that you'll speak to us during this precious moment. Your love, Lord, is just beyond our comprehension. If we could just tap into it a little, Lord, we'd be able to love everybody the way we should love them. So as the music begins to play, if there's someone that wants to make this right with you, we pray that we'd use this moment to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.